How many people um, have been baptized? How many people have been baptized? Okay. I need you all to help me a little bit this morning. Um, when we were baptized, what that means is that we have had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come before Him, um, by the grace of God, realized our sin and our need for redemption and salvation. And we've come before the Lord and asked Him to wash us and to cleanse us and to come into our heart. In out obedience to Christ, baptism is a public declaration that I'm a different person. I'm not the person I used to be. Now what that means, because Scripture says that when we become new in Christ, all things, everything has become new. The old is past, it's gone, um, and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so, part of uh, the symbolism behind baptism has to do with these things. So, let me ask you, you can help me, um, what does baptism itself symbolize? There's several things. So, what's some of the things that baptism symbolizes? Outward sign of an inward work. It's a public testimony, and it's a, uh, a public confession. You're letting people know, and you're inviting them to look in your life and see the difference. What else? Death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. And that's an important thing because uh, we're telling people that we're going to live resurrection life. And that's the good news part of it. Uh, the difficult part is the dying, because you can't raise up what is not dead. And so there is a death, and that is the opportunity for the resurrection to take place. Then there's the washing and the cleansing that goes with it. But I want us to talk about it this morning, because... Uh, As we read through the New Testament, we'll look in Romans chapter 6, but you could also look in Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter, and they're all going to say basically the same thing. So we want to look in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. And he's talking about how uh, even when there's a greater increase in sin, that that's not a problem for God because His grace is greater. And when sin increases, God increases His grace. And He meets and more than meets the difficulties and the needs that we have. So Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, if my sin means greater grace, then maybe I need to sin more. That's what some of the early Christians were thinking. And he says, by no means, or King James says, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that's the question I want to ask all of us who have been baptized this morning. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the question I have for us, um, many of us were baptized many, many years ago. So the question I have for us is, how is it with you? Is the dead part still dead? And are you still walking in newness of life? If we have been united with him in death, like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self, uh, King James had old man, and that's actually what the Greek says, the old man. It's not talking about our dad. It's talking about the old sinful self. Was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so he's writing this to the church, to the churches, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, Galatians. Peter writes the same thing in the letter that he writes uh, because we forget. Life goes on and in the day-by-day grind and as uh, we face conflict and difficulties and challenges or because we just get busy doing good things and things are going well for us, we forget. And we have a tendency to kind of slide back into the old ways of doing things. So he says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. What are you doing with your freedom? Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, you really are free. And so you are free. We are free. Those things have no hold on us anymore unless we want them to, unless we allow them to come back in. So we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. All that no power over him because the power of death is sin. And through his death, the power of sin is broken. And so the power, the hold that that death and that slavery has over us has been broken. For the death he died, he died for sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, that's you and me, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign, rule, control your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Um, The passions are still there. Nothing wrong with the passions. God created them. It's when they take over and rule your life that they become a sinful thing. So they are no longer to rule your heart and your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that's your body, your mind, your thoughts, your attitudes, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. 
Now, Colossians chapter 2, um, Paul goes into a, um, a little different track in verses 12 and 13. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so he says in chapter 3, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What are you seeking these days? The goal, the purpose, the intent of your life. Um, what is the, the guiding principle around which we build our lives and our families? Paul says, set your mind, because that's where it starts, on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Have you been baptized? Then you die to all of those things. Do, you not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. And so he gives us a list of things that we are to put on, and we'll come back to that a little later. So he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians. Um, We want to just look at this one very quickly, chapter 6, starting with verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And Some of us have bought into the lie again. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. That's right. We used to do that. That's where we used to live. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. There was a Buddhist monk, and he was trying to to process his way to inner peace, and he was struggling. Some of us as Christians have a similar struggle, don't we? So he was struggling, struggling, so finally he went to the master monk. And so he goes to the the head guy there, and he says, "I'm, I'm really struggling to find peace, and so... 
the master looks at him and he says, you need to go and think about this. I want you to know uh, till you can hear the sound of one hand clapping. So he went and he meditated and thought and, and all this kind of stuff. And about a year later he came back and he said, man, I'm still having trouble. And so the master monk says, um, he, he hit him and he said, uh, he said, you're dead. So the guy just collapsed. And um, the monk went away. He comes back. Here's the guy. He's still laying there. And he says, do you hear the sound of one hand clapping? And the guy said, no. And so the master monk started kicking him, hitting him. He said, dead men don't talk. <laughs> Think about it. One of the things that's uh, disconcerting to me is all the focus on death and corruption in our society and culture. You know, um, they have TV shows, whole series about the walking dead and zombies and all this decay and corruption and death and our whole uh, vampires and werewolves and all the other kind of stuff that's going on and there's just this... um, infatuation with death and and decay and dying. So the the problem is that um, when we're looking at things like zombies, these are people who have died, but they haven't stayed dead. And let me tell you where this comes from. This originated in West Africa among the voodoo cults. And it was part of the, the worship of a, of a python, a snake, a snake god. It was brought over to Haiti in the southern U.S. by the slaves. And it's a, a, it's a worship of the snake deity of voodoo. It's what it is. So there's a supernatural power or essence that enters into and reanimates the dead body. They have no will. They're not able to speak. They're only capable of a trance-like movement. And so we are encouraging people to make um, demonic activity entertainment. Make a lot of money with that. They have for years and years. You know, they've had uh, Exorcist and all those other um, movies that deal with with, um, death and decay and all of that sort of thing. It's very, very different from the resurrection offered us by Christ. The reason I'm bringing it up is that some of us as Christians are zombie Christians. You died to these things. And somehow we let those things come up again. And from what I understand, on the zombie shows, these things come up and they're filled with all the decay and corruption and, and you know, their, their bodies are decaying. Um, that's nothing to do with the resurrection that Christ offers. But as Christians, that's what happens. And when that happens, it's ugly, it stinks, it's horrible, and all it deals in is death. Spiritually, morally, and eventually ethically and physically as well. And so we've allowed that to take place. And that's why I was wanting to focus in on what baptism represents. 
um, when a person uses the immersion baptism, when you lay the person down in the water, that's, that's a burial. You died, the old person is dead, and when you come up, that's a resurrection. And it's a public witness. My old way of life, with all the habits, with all the selfishness and self-centeredness, all the emphasis on me and mine, is dead. And yet we find Christian people living that kind of lifestyle. Uh, we all battle with it, don't we, if we're honest? We all battle with that. And so it's, a, it's an ongoing battle to make sure that we remember who we are and what Christ has done for us. And so what Paul writes is he says, look, you used to live that way. And that's true. All of us were caught in sin and bound that way. And we all used to live that way. But you have been washed. You've been sanctified, set apart, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We don't have to live that way. It's a going back into the death. It's an inviting in of the corruption and the decay that stinks. So Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about us being an aroma of Christ. And he says, to those who are perishing, we are the aroma, the smell of death, because they see us and they realize that they are dying. But if our life looks like theirs, then the aroma that we give off is not Christ, it's death. So how do you smell this morning? When people get around you, it's either death or life. It's one or the other. And the Lord invites us to enter in. You know, there are resurrections in the New Testament. Um, there are resurrections in the Old Testament. You had Samuel talking with Saul. And then uh, you've got Moses and Elijah in the New Testament talking with Jesus. Now these men are, they're whole, they look good, they're recognizable, they can talk, they can communicate, they can talk with Jesus about it. Matthew 27, 52, on the day that Jesus rose again, it says, The tombs opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection went into the holy city and appeared to many. These are not zombies. Paul talks in Ephesians about how Christ, when he ascended on high, led captives in his train. He brought these men and women with him. And it was glorious. And it was filled with life. Very different than what we're being offered by today's world. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, literally as the nations. So the nations, Gentiles, same thing. It's anybody who's not a Jew, but it applies to the Jews as well. And so what he's saying is, as Christians, we're no longer to live like the people around us live, in the futility of their minds. What does that mean? 
The word futility here means useless, ineffective, trifling or frivolous, fruitless. You know, when uh, the disciples went out and they, these were professional fishermen. They worked all night because that's, that's when you fished in that part at that time. They fished all night. Professional fishermen didn't catch a thing. Then their labor was futile, wasn't it? Accomplished nothing. It's the same kind of thing that we think about when we think about uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes. His conclusion is, all of life is empty and meaningless. That's how he starts his book. That's encouraging. All of life is empty and meaningless. It's futile. It's a chasing after the wind. So the word here for futility goes on. Vanity, uselessness, moral depravity, emptiness, purposelessness. The mind fixed on empty things. How do you spend your time? What do you think about as you go through the day? Our minds are constantly working. What are we thinking about? What's the attitudes there? What do you dream about? These are the things he's talking about. He's saying if Christ has really made a difference, if we've really died to these sinful things, why is it still such a part of our life? Why aren't we walking in the newness of the resurrection life that Jesus came to give? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties, but it means that there's going to be a quality of life. And we're all about quality of life these days, you know. The quality of life. That begins in the spirit and the heart. What do you think about? How do you spend your time? And we find that often of us, oftentimes we find ourselves just like a, like a, you know, the little mouse in the, in the squirrel cage, you know. He's running and he's running and he's not getting anywhere. <laughs> He's spending a lot of energy, wasting a lot of time, and it's all for nothing. And I've talked with people at the end of their life. It's a very sad thing. And they look back at their life and they said, it didn't mean a thing. We sometimes get so confused, we get things upside down and backwards in our life. God created things, and there's nothing wrong with things. But the whole point about things is that things are meant to be used and people are meant to be loved. And we get it backwards, don't we? We use people and we love things. And Paul is writing to the church and the church at Ephesus was probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest church uh, at that particular time. A lot of good stuff going on there. But he says, I say this and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles did in the futility of their minds. Why is he writing that to the church? Because that's how they're walking. They are darkened in their understanding. So they had illumination at one time because they, these are Christian people he's writing to. But it's beginning to get dark again. 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So when we cut ourselves off from daily walking with the Lord, there is a hardness that begins within our heart. Paul makes it really clear in the next verse, verse 19. Uh, yeah, verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He's writing to, pe- to Christian people, people in the church. So he says, the truth in Jesus teaches us to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and this is where it starts, in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so he's going to go on and talk about these things. He's going to talk about communication, what's coming out of your mouth, what kind of words, how do you address each other and and speak to each other. Um, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What if we only spoke... That kind of language. Only speaking what is good for building up whatever fits the occasion. You're not flattering people. You're just whatever fits. That it may give grace to those who hear. How graceful is our speech? And if we didn't speak unless we were speaking grace... I think we'd have a lot of silence. (laughs) And it might be good. Because what we do is we fill our minds and we fill our vocabulary and we feel a way that we look with all of this corrupt stuff and we think that we're going to come through unscathed. And we will not. You can't wallow in a mud pen and come out clean. It doesn't happen. And so, uh, you know, it's like the prodigal son who comes home and he gets a bath and gets clean clothes, gets the ring, gets reinstated in the family. But every night he goes out and wallows in the mud again with the pigs. That's what we do. Peter even uses that analogy. He says, when we go back, when we allow the dead man to come alive again... um, It's like a dog going back to his vomit and like a pig that has been washed back to the wallowing in the mud and the stink. And he's writing to Christian people, uh, writing to people inside the church, writing to people who have had a definite experience of knowing who Christ was and is and continues to be in our day-by-day walk. And so he challenges us. And so, uh, consistently, Galatians chapter 3, we could read Corinthians, we could read Ephesians, but we'll read 
Galatians 3, verse 27. For as many as were baptized into Christ hath put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You are people of faith. So how do we live? In Galatians 5, starting with verse 16... How does the old man stay dead? And how do we walk continually in newness of life? Paul writes to the Galatian church and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we're thinking of our lives, as we're listening to ourselves think, as we're listening to ourselves speak, are we speaking graciously? Are we speaking by the Spirit? Are we speaking to build people up? Are we thinking, filling our minds and our lives, using our time in a way that's going to be glorifying God? Um, doesn't mean that you have to be reading your Bible and praying all the time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living your ordinary, everyday life as you go through your jobs, as you do your work, as you're in your home, interact within your family, with your neighbors, with your friends. Um, what's going on then? What, where are these things coming from? And is it giving grace and building people up? So walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other and you're serving one or the other. And many of us in the church try to, to um, you know, it's like a guy with his, uh, he's got a boat. He's got one foot on the dock, one foot in the boat and the boat's starting to move. And so he's trying to live in two worlds. And sooner or later, he's going to have to make a decision or the decision will be made for him. And we are like that in our walk as Christians many times. We're wanting to have one foot in the world, but, you know, um, we're all going to die one day and then we have to face the judgment and all that, so we want to keep one side over here. Um, but, you know... Uh, um, and we find ourselves being split apart and we're going to have to choose one way or the other. Jesus made it very clear. You can't serve two masters. And there was a church who tried that. It was called the church at Laodicea. And if you read it, Jesus said, I wish you were either one way or the other. But don't be in the middle. Don't be lukewarm. Um, don't be hot and cold. Um, be one or the other. And he said, because you are lukewarm, tepid, I will spew you out of my mouth. And the word that he uses there, it's a very strong Greek word. It means an uncontrollable retching. In other words, Jesus said, Christians who are lukewarm make me sick. So he says... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. And again, he lists them. 
And I'm reading from different books here, but notice how consistent the list is. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And God cannot be deceived. He looks at our heart and the motives and the intent. The fruit of the Spirit, these will be, oh, what's the fruit? That's the thing that's, that's growing as a result of your lifestyle. So people ought to be able to look at your life and mine and see this in our hearts, in our lifestyles, in our relationships. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. You're not going to find anywhere, thou shalt not be faithful. You're not going to find anywhere, thou shalt not be generous. You're not going to find that law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The prophet Amos said the same thing. Can two walk together unless they're in agreement? If we're walking in the Spirit, that means we are in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And if we are in agreement with the Holy Spirit, His Spirit becomes ours. Because He's the motivator. He's the enabler. He's the one who works that change deep within us. So where are you this morning? Uh, are our words building up? Are our words filled with grace? Are our lifestyles filled with the, the newness, the resurrection life, the abundant life that Jesus died to give us? It's available to us. If we're not living it, it's because we're not choosing to live it. The ability to do that, you've been set free. Paul and Peter both says, now that you're free, don't use your freedom as an excuse for sin. And too often we do. That's why they write these things to the church. So the old man is dead, let him stay dead. You don't want to be a zombie Christian. Uh, you don't want to be trying to find out the, the, the sound of one hand clapping. It's Jesus who gives you peace. And when he's in your heart, uh, you understand what he's talking about. And the joy is there. And um, the security, the hope, the promises are there. In the midst of strife, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of challenges on a daily basis, um, you have an anchor that you keeps your soul steadfast and sure. And the anchor is Jesus. Let's pray. So Lord, we pray you would remind us this morning who we are and what you've done for us. And for the old things that have passed away. And we pray, Father, that you would help us 
to leave them there. Help us, Lord, not to go digging them up again and searching for them and trying to find them. Help us, Lord, not to be judging one another in all of these things. We ask, Lord, that our, our speech would be seasoned with salt and full of grace as we walk consistent lives spreading the aroma of the risen Christ in a world that's filled with death. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have communion every Sunday, and it's open communion, which means that if you're a visitor, you're welcome to come. Uh, it's Christ who died and rose again. He died for sinners. That's all of us. All of us. And so we are all invited to come and to participate. Um, one of the things that we can always remember, uh, like uh, Newton, he said his mind started going when he was an old man. But he said, I don't know if he had an early form of Alzheimer's or dementia, but he said, two things I remember. He said, some of the faces are fading. Some of the memories are going away. I don't remember a bunch of stuff anymore. I know two things. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. And that's where we are this morning. And so he invites us to come. And so everyone is welcome if you want to come. In First Peter... Chapter 2, Peter, again writing to the church, reminds us, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, you and me, might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the sickness of the soul and the death, that spiritual death that we live every day. He's saying that's part of what we've been healed from. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So in the communion service, remembering the last supper, in the upper room with the disciples. It's the shepherd seeking his lost sheep. That's what he's doing. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, and it is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink from this cup, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And he invites us to come and to participate, partaking of the bread of the new life and the blood of forgiveness and cleansing uh, to enable the Holy Spirit to come and infill us and form the life of Christ in each one of us. That as we live, people will see Jesus through your life, uh, through mine, through the way that we do our jobs and the way that we interact with others. So he invites us to come and renew that this morning. Will those who are serving communion please come forward?